Hey, listeners, just wanted to let you know we had a little bit of an emergency this week. Uh, so we're trying to keep everybody safe. You're going to notice a little bit of a difference in our audio, audio quality. Uh, just a last minute thing. Uh, no worries. Everybody's good. We're good. But don't hold it against us if the quality <laughs> is just a little bit down. Uh, so uh, we're, we're back, back to, to our regular being, quality. Yeah, we're back to being <laughs> in, in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're back under the covers again. So thank you, guys. Stick with us uh, and on to the show. Welcome, everyone. This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a show this week. We are covering HBO's I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It's a true crime series about the Golden State Killer, uh, who was active in the California area from 1976 and was never caught until 2018. So it's kind of an incredible story of a uh, a journalist, a writer, a true crime uh, lover going after an unnamed serial killer and and helping figure it out, actually figuring out who it was. Um, and sadly, uh, you might know, you might not know, Michelle McNamara, the author of All Be Gone in the Dark, passed away in 2016, two years before the book actually came to publication. Uh, she died from an accidental overdose. Do you have anything on that, Taylor? Yeah, yeah. So she had been working on this book vigorously after articles that she had written about it. Yeah. And she was on medication for a variety of things and had taken more medication to help with her insomnia. Right. And it was a overdose because of the combination of medications that she was right. taking combined with an undiagnosed heart condition. Oh man! So it was sort of a freak much. situation where even if she had taken these medications, it might not have been a problem. But because she also had this heart condition, oh she just passed away in her sleep one night. Oh, tragic! Um, and if you didn't know, she's also the wife of Patton Oswalt, the stand-up comedian. Um, yeah. So there's also the uh, kind of the public eye on on this couple to a degree. So it's an immense tragedy. But it, it's an amazing story of somebody who who wanted to put a name to a a uh, to a faceless killer, and she did it. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> I mean, it really is nothing short of amazing. Uh, yeah. it, it, this is a series. This is an HBO doc series. It's hybrid about the crime spree itself, but it's more focused on Michelle and her drive to actually get this done. And that's what's um, so odd is the fact that the story of these true crime things are usually salacious about the killer and the case in getting them. But this is, like you said, more about her, this civilian woman yeah. who devoted her life to figuring out or helping investigators figure out these crimes right. all across. This is right. a major high profile one, which she was the one who coined the term Golden State Killer, which helped create more publicity oh, really? for him, but all over the country and people were sending her tips or they were asking her to help out find other things, which we'll get into in a second. Let me just throw out some stats real quick. Cause I didn't realize this. I was looking sure. at interviews and various things. There are 15,000 murders in America on average. And wow. on average around 5,000 of those a year are unsolved. They're not marked wow. as clear. So since 1980, that would be 200,000 unsolved just murders. missing unaccounted for lives. Yeah, just not even burglary, like not just, just yeah, murders. just murder. So that's so many that oh my God. <laughs> everybody needs help figuring out. Oh my so God. 
it doesn't seem so far-fetched then that a random woman would be involved in figuring the like we need the whole country needs a lot of help in figuring this stuff out um Um, it's so interesting to me it 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 kind of echoes it for any film lovers out there the david fincher film uh zodiac about the real zodiac killer but about the real life writer that film focuses on a writer a cartoonist a cartoonist for the san francisco uh, chronicle who wrote the book Zodiac and and pretty much put the name to the to the face for the killer? He was never brought to justice. That individual passed away before they were able to apprehend him, uh, and so it was never in you know, proven conclusively. But people are pretty sure that's who it is. There, but you know, there that's an open book as as far as the internet wants to go. Uh, yeah. But it really echoes that. It's like and you th- you think oh that happened in the seventies. Stuff like that doesn't happen today. This is like. This is the slam dunk version. <laughs> Modern day, baby. They got him. He's behind bars after Well, this. and what's what's interesting about this is the reason that he's behind bars. So we'll get into how this comes about at the end. But the show, which came out two years after the book came out. So the show has right. just come out this past week. And they got him two years ago. But just this week, the week the show came out, he pled guilty. Yeah, so it was that like he doesn't the day get the after penalty. I watched it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to avoid the death penalty, he pled guilty and admitted to the murders. Uh, a technicality based on uh, a statute of limitations, the rapes and the burglaries uh, have expired beyond a punitive uh, uh, code. So they're not going to be able to pr- uh, to charge anything on any of those. But he did plead guilty to all the murders. There's not going to be some lengthy, expensive trial that the state of California is going to have to put together and try to put all these facts and evidence together after years and years of decades and decades. It's just going, it's uh, rolling right ahead. Guilty. <laughs> yeah. The the So if anybody's interested, before we get into her life, the title of the book and the show, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, comes from a quote from the killer, from one of the people that survived. And he had said to them, you'll be silent forever, and I'll be gone in the dark, which is very ominous. And at the end of the book, Michelle McNamara had written an epilogue, her description of getting this guy finally, because at this point, he's in his late 70s. He's thought, Oh, I've gotten away with this. I've done this so much. I mean, it's crazy. 50 different sexual assaults, at Uh, least, and 12 murders, at least, and all of the evidence and all of that stuff. And the way that she describes the police coming to get him and him, he can't hop a fence anymore. He can't not answer the door. They just get him. It's almost exactly how it happened in real life, you know, or quiet but swift getting him that, in his house, an old guy, and they can't do anything about it. So anymore. she's gotten to a point where she pretty much th- 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 thinks she knows who it is and knows that somebody is going to catch up. And she, I mean, she, I mean, you know, she didn't know she was going to pass away. So she has assumed that they were just going to forge ahead with this fight. So she was, mm-hmm. and the epilogue is writing a, you know, when we do get you, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, and two years later, by the time the book actually hits shelves, two months after the book hits shelves, they, they did get him. Mm-hmm. I wanted that, to point out that, uh, that, yeah. So like you said, because she had passed away, the book was finished. A lot of people may give credit to Patton Oswald, although he defers credit. He was just the person who had right. her file because he was married to her. And was say, he was saying, I'm not the crime fighting hero. I'm just some dumb comedian. I don't know anything right. about this. Or right. this. And So it's not on the book, but it's co-written 
or at least pieced together by sure. two people, Billy Jensen and Paul Haynes. And I'll explain who those guys are yeah. as we go through the story and how they were the ones to cobble this together and were That's a part of figuring this stuff out. So let's just jump right into her life. Yeah. And since that's the most interesting part of this whole thing. <laughs> um, speaking to which, the intro to the book is written by Jillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl. Oh, interesting. And she was a huge fan of Michelle McNamara's work before she became a f- successful writer. And I just thought it was really wow. a really interesting thing that she wrote in the intro. So I'll quote this. She said, mm-hmm. his identity matters not a whit to me in relation to the Golden State Killer. I want him captured. I don't care who he is. Looking at such a man's face is anticlimactic, attaching a name even worse. And goes on to say all the different stuff that he did or what he might claim is an excuse. She said, Mm -hmm. I want to know more about true, complete people, not dirty scraps of humans. So that's what starts this. And it does make sense. The fact that, yeah, who who are the people figuring this out? Like, that is a common trope of true crime is the salacious trying to understand the mind of the killer. And at the end of the day, she's saying that's not worth (laughs) devoting our time to. (laughs) No, I, I, I mean, I can't imagine devoting your life to trying to get behind the eyes of a killer, but I'd have to imagine that you would have to find some safety net at some point or have, you know, you'd have to find your own gauge of when to walk away on some of this material. I mean, Mm -hmm. then, of what's and what's important ultimately is justice for the survivors and the victims that's i hope would be a, a lot of the and i'm sure was a, a, the fuel uh because these people are still out there it, it, again it was 50 rapes uh it's 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 this is an, it, disgusting it's crazy it's crazy even though Nobody was really familiar with the Golden State Killer until just a few years ago, until this happened. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about her growing up. She grew up in Oak Park, Illinois, which hmm. I found was where Ernest Hemingway was born. Oh, really? And uh, he allegedly, though not completely corroborated, referred to it as a place of, quote, broad lawns and narrow minds. Just dismissing it, but it's just a very (laughs) suburb of Chicago situation. Uh, She somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just implying that nothing important happens there. Yeah. Um, So Michelle grew up there. Her senior year, she was editor in chief of the student newspaper. She's already got an inkling, and as a kid, she had written in her journals, "Michelle, the writer." She Mm. knew that that's what she wanted to do from being a kid, and she graduated from Notre Dame in Indiana with a bachelor's degree in English and then got a master's in creative writing at the University of Minnesota. Wow. And she had worked on a script and her professor encouraged her to, she should do TV and film writing. She had that creative spark. So in 1997, that's why she moved to LA to write for TV and film. And she Mm. did successfully. She sold two TV pilot ideas and a movie pitch. She had done, I mean, it's not known really, but it's like, Oh, what happened then? But she she did do work in that field. Yeah, yeah. We have to flip over, though, from her life and go into this guy, Paul Holes, who I haven't mentioned yet. He's an investigator, and this is 1994, so while she's still in college. He okay. was sworn in as an investigator in Martinez, California. It's his first year. 
he discovers this cold case file of the East Area Rapist, EAR, was what yeah. this purpose Before he was as. given the Golden State Killer uh, right. name by Michelle. EAR, what was the other part of it? Uh, it was it was really clumsy. I can't remember. Uh, EAR. Yeah, it was the original, the original Night Stalker. So that comes out later. So, But this is right. just this guy's area in California. It's on the east side of Sacramento. He's like, oh, this happened in the 70s and 80s. I'm just getting started in the early 90s. And so that interested him. But again, it's a cold case. He comes back to it here and then throughout the years. It wasn't until 2001 that there was a DNA break in the evidence that exploded it even further. Because like you said, the DNA evidence from this East Area Rapist matched these other crimes in California through the original Night Stalker. And it matched together. So they're like, oh, this was all this one person. And then, like you said, it it became this confusing name of Eron's. <laughs> Thank He's God there. that we actually started taking evidence collection seriously in this country. You know, it's not yeah. everywhere, but through the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, that was being taken more seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the early 70s, they still were losing a lot of it. And even through the 80s, they were. But it was that tide was turning. And I mean, thank god because it's ba- based on somebody picking something up the ground literally in their mind going i don't know if they're ever gonna if this is probably just garbage no nobody's ever going to you look it actually helped conclusively solve a case um yeah. so just thank god that we actually started taking that kind of thing seriously or else all of this would be lost uh, we wouldn't be able to actually tie these things these uh, incidents conclusively together that's such yeah. an important part of this and we had talked about in our episode on Ted Bundy from the memoir of one of his girlfriends. girlfriends yeah. The fact that they couldn't track all this stuff because he was all over the place. He was all up and down the West Coast. And this is another mm-hmm. case of that where it's like, this is just in California, but it's a massive state. And it's yes. the fact that, oh, we're, this one jurisdiction is looking at these cases and they don't even realize that some of the MOs, the way that they go about these crimes are similar. And then, oh, good Lord, the DNA is the same. So it must Gosh. be the same person. But if you're <sighs> across the state, you might not be able to connect those. You know, yeah. You, what are you to know? Uh, you, it's it's just yeah. happening in your town. Who's to say? I mean, that's an, the other thing about the tide turning and just the the flow of communication has grown ex- exponentially since the 1970s. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are growing and learning and communicating at rates just unbelievable, just thought not possible at this yeah. time. Uh, so that again is is has everything to do with why this man has been able to brought to justice is the yeah. the the turning of the tide of all of this technology. So now this is two thousand one when that DNA was connected, and they're like, oh, the, all of this nonsense is the same person. Uh, yeah. In April of two thousand one, this was two days after that hit the media where these yeah. things were connected. This elderly woman in her sixties got a phone call. And she said, hello. And the voice said, remember when we played? And she recognized the voice. She was one of the survivors from these things that happened in the 70s. Oh, my God. And so they're like, oh, this obviously this person is still out there. He's not in jail. He's not committed suicide. Like, he's still out there. Well, and and just to echo my Zodiac point is uh, that exact same thing would happen with some of the actual survivors of the Zodiac incidents. Famously, a lot of the male uh, uh, victims or survivors actually got away because he was too interested in the women. But uh, uh, survivors of the Zodiac would get calls as well. And when uh, Arthur Lee Allen passed away, 
all of those things stopped. I think Graysmith himself, the writer himself, got calls. I think that's even in the movie. I'm sorry, I didn't watch that yeah, as, sure. as prep, but just from memory, um, I think that that is part of the closing crawl is saying that Graysmith has never gotten a call after the death of Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah. Uh, so it's really, really strange and, and, and an interesting echo between these types of things. I want to know more writers who are you know, <laughs> going after killers. This is, yeah. this is invigorating. So let's flip back now to the writer's side. Michelle, remember, she's in L.A. This is 2002, the year after the DNA was matched. She went out alone to a club. She was going to see an old boyfriend perform, and she caught the stand-up act of Patton Oswald. And he had said on stage as part of one of his bits, Irish girls are my kryptonite. So she <laughs> met up with him after and said, Irish right. girls, nice and left and then oswald's <laughs> friend was like hey you got to go after her so they court each other and they get married in 2005 one of the big oswald things that is, they, yeah. but he's in the dock and he actually tells that exact that exact story it's one of the most mm-hmm. endearing parts of the of the entire thing uh, but it, it's amazing how involved he is but he tells that exact story of like the moment mm-hmm. they met uh it seemed really sweet one of the things that they bonded on was true crime. And so he encouraged her to start this website. So she launched a website called True Crime Diary in 2006. Mm-hmm. Again, the burgeoning ages of the internet. There's no serial, the famous podcast. Right. There's no making a murderer. There's none of this stuff. It's, true it's, crime it's, is not popular. <laughs> it's it's cool. I mean, like I, I've always kind of had a tinge for it, but I've never been like, I've never been a sleuth for it, but I've, right. I've always like been interested in that. I've always been in, interested in myths and unsolved mysteries and creatures and all of those types of things. So, you know, this fits right in with all of that. But I've, up until the last few years, it has not been the cool thing. Uh, I get, mm-hmm. you know, there's, but now it's, now it's, the, they're almost a dime a dozen. I mean, I love <laughs> most of them are really well done, but you know, it seems like ever since making a murderer, I mean, this has just been a, a cash and ticket uh, (laughs) genre. (laughs) And so I think the thing was like, where did this explosion come from specifically for Michelle? Where did this fascination come from? And I know they bring this up in the show, but it's also in the book as well. We mentioned Oak park, the place that Ernest Hemingway hated where nothing interesting happens (laughs) two blocks from where Michelle lived as a kid. This is 1984. She's in the ninth grade there was this woman that she was going on a jog in the summer and some guy came out of an alley or somebody came out of an alley and slit her throat during oh the God. day and Broad it was never daylight. figured out. Yeah. Kathleen Lombardo. It oh was two God. block, two blocks away from where Michelle lived as a kid. Oh my and God. she just said, she remembers going back to that crime scene, seeing the pieces of the Walkman and was just forever hooked on not so much the, and this is where she gets credit for as a writer, but not so much the grisly details or the, macabre elements of it but more the personal human elements and that's really what spurs her on like you said in terms of the victims and survivors like what are what are those things time and time again uh watching the doc listening to the podcast um watching interviews all of the producers the directors any creative partners she had through this process has just mentions how they fell in love with her voice as a writer and that's, I think, exactly what you're talking about now is what she actually chose to write about when she would go to these places, when she would go mm-hmm. and really feel these things. Uh, it was different coming from her, what she chose to focus on. And, 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 it, I'll post, and it was yeah. evident in the writing. Yeah. And I'll post links because, like I said, this website, True Crime Diary, 
has hundreds and hundreds of posts, all different sorts of cases, all these different things she's looking at. And over the years, oh, people would, would write to her. There's a thing if you have tips or you have something that happened in your town and she would sleuth online or, or call people or look into oh, things. Man. And I think that was a big benefit to the investigative process was again, this is the early days that Patton Oswalt mentions this in a few interviews. Like she's a blogger. People lower yeah. their guard. She could go talk to people that are in prison about stuff that won't say a word to the right. police because she's right. just some random lady who's got a website that they think <laughs> a thousand people read or nobody right. reads or whatever it might be. And then the other piece of it that, like you said, it's like true crime maybe is not everybody's forte, but for her, it was not just the personal element, but the little things that she could do to find it. So she mentions in the book that son of Sam was busted because of a parking ticket, mm. which I didn't, I didn't know that was the, I, I, I mean, I knew a little bit about his story, but there was a woman who saw yeah, I feel odd, like I'm the same. It was an odd car that was parked around where this murder happened. And she remembers a policeman giving that car a ticket. And so then the investigators looked into the tickets for that thing, traced the car, found him. And then he said, oh, I guess you got me and gave himself up once they figured that out. But it was, you know, that's, oh Mich that's Michelle's thing. She's like, all of right. these cold cases have the equivalent of a parking ticket quote right. it's just figuring right. out what that is uh -huh. so that's where that's where a lot of her interests came from was piecing it together through the internet gotcha the, so it's like not, a rush yeah. i get i mean when you when you find that break when you find some a piece of it that inches you forward it's got to be like it's got to be akin to like gambling or something yeah you know? <laughs> just like another pull of that dial <laughs> yeah uh, and to just I, have I that that's what, yeah. what she was living on <laughs> yeah to have that mind it's also a curse as well it, which yeah, you know like we absolutely. said she had insomnia and sleepless nights or wondering what all of these different things mean one of the things that gave her national attention through this true crime diary and its popularity this is in 2007 a mm -hmm. year after the website was launched there was and maybe this will be in the show or it already is there was a 13 year old boy named ben ownby and this mm -hmm. is outside st louis he went missing she posted her theory on a Thursday, which was three days after the disappearance. And she was saying that perhaps an intriguing lead that investigators should check out is four years ago and 38 miles away from this. Again, confusing jurisdictions further right. in the past, but she had found this in relatively close, but not really not the same people, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in, uh, in 2002, four years before this other kid, Sean Hornbeck, left his home in Richwoods, Missouri, right. and had disappeared. He was on his bicycle, and he was two years older than this kid that just got abducted or taken or is missing, but they had mm. striking similar characteristics because she saw pictures of them and right. saw that they were of a similar yeah. build and of a similar complexion and everything. She also had a map of the area on her website that pointed out where these kids were missing and then a third victim that had also oh, vanished in relation to the main highway, I-44. So oh. she posted that on a Thursday. And then on that Friday, the police found the kid who was abducted, Ben. He was in the home of this guy, Michael Delvin. But they also found Sean, the other kid who had been... <laughs> Who had been abducted for four years and had been living with this guy for four years. Good Lord. I, um, they touch on that briefly in the show, but that mm -hmm. is insane. It, it also didn't necessarily connect the fact that she solved it, you know, because they still found him. But it was like she was right in her suppositions yeah. about what was going on. Just the fact the that they found the other kid 
was crazy. And the, the way that they found him was because they were serving, the police were serving an unrelated warrant in the same area and spotted the truck that was related to the case four years ago. So they had right. gotten a tip and there was this truck that had also been involved. So then they figured out who had it. It was this guy, Michael, and then they busted in and he has the two kids. God. That gives, gives you an example of how siloed uh, police departments can be. I mean, and that's not even all that long ago. You know, you're just the town over has a whole different set of people working on the, the same stuff that the other town was working on. They don't talk about what is going on in each other's tent. They're not <laughs> every murder, every robbery, every, they're not, it's not like it all just gets digitized the instant it, ha- it's, it happens into mm-hmm. some database where all cops know about, you know, it's like, that's just, yeah. it's not, it, a lot of the stuff doesn't even get digitized. I mean, it, mm-hmm. and it, especially throughout Golden State Killer, most of the stuff wasn't digitized. And most of this evidence never has been digitized. Uh, that's all yeah. very new stuff. It's so it it don't rest on your laurels thinking, well, it's really close. Wouldn't we have put? Wouldn't we have known? No, it's really mm-hmm. it's really close. But it's a whole different set of people. That yeah. don't talk to each other. So she has given the this information. And this is part of being a citizen investigator in a way is you're the middleman for the actual investigators and the people that you're you're like, you know, you're not going to go serve justice to people. You're not going to go because you can't be involved in that way. But she has given information to various agencies and organizations because of her sleuthing online. So, for an example, she said in an article that I read that uh, she was being interviewed for, one of the things she does is reading the online versions of local newspapers. So Mm. she was saying the comment section underneath these articles, she was like, people, (laughs) people all talk about local gossip. She's like, there's people that just put quote, that was my next door neighbor growing up. So you just can find stuff. That's the, that's the police. I've seen that that kind of stuff. I've absolutely seen that kind of stuff. Uh, Being able to use that in an investigative sense uh, is, is so ingenious almost because nobody even thinks that there is any kind of community at all on these local webs, uh, on these local newspaper websites, but there actually is, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of amazing. I have seen that in my, in my local home, uh, my hometown in Georgia, that is definitely the case. So I, I can see exactly how she would be able to piece some, some extra things together just through mm-hmm. those types of sources and just being, I'm sure that's just one source. That's just one. I mean, think of if she's thinking that way, however many sources she was able to find of people talking about things on forums and boards that you wouldn't really have even thought of. And a lot of the stuff that she ends up talking about in the book and doing, which if, you know, people reading it, it's frustrating because she doesn't come up with the answers for a lot of these things. But at least it's kind of like with Thomas Edison of being like, oh, I figured out a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. And then he figures out the one way to do it. She's at least checking off boxes for investigators to say, oh, it's not this person or, oh, this person, the DNA doesn't match, but it's, she's putting more. She's like a WD-40, you know, she's (laughs) not the wrench that's going <laughs> to loosen the bolt for real and get it. But, you know, she is that WD-40 that gets in there. To, it just gets into those cracks and loosens up that rust so that finally yeah. you get that torque behind. <laughs> exactly. So, so great point. The loosening up. Now it's 2010. She is in the cold case files message board from that show on A&E. 
and mm. she's seeing people talking about this Eron's case, which is what they've called this person who has all of these murders and rapes in California. And she connects with this guy who's in that forum, Paul Haynes, who ends mm. up becoming the person who helps collaborate and finish her book. And he book. kind of becomes her research assistant, and they work together to figure out these these cases and crimes or provide investigators with different tracks From to go on. A and E board. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that about the story that like for real an A and E documentary like had a had a like a, a, a section on the A and E b- form. <laughs> and this is where it went down for real. Like A and E helped catch <laughs> the Golden State Killer. <laughs> Oh so now God. she has, now she's writing, she gets an article in Los Angeles magazine in 2013, and she yeah. is the one who rechristened him the Golden State Killer. And a big right. reason was because the publicity helps. She explicitly states like, the Eurons is stupid. Nobody can even remember what that acronym is. And right, it's not catchy. Right. And this gives a breadth. Some people thought maybe it was too salacious or sort of glorifies or Hollywoodizes this killer. But the fact is the name stuck. All the news outlets started using it. The police. Well, we have to ask ourselves why this wouldn't. Yeah. Why? Why didn't it gain attention? Why? I mean, mm-hmm. why? I mean, you wouldn't be renaming the killer 30 years after the fact. Because uh, right. I think when she when she coined that, I heard it. I heard about it, mm-hmm. um, but I but I I never I still never really looked into the case. But it, it just is amazing to me that 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 this is such a ramshackled, you know, like clumsy, yeah. almost killer profile. I mean, maybe it's the best. Maybe I mean, in terms of if you want to like on, in terms of like serial killer, like maybe it's the best way to go because he looked like he was a bunch of different people perhaps. And, and, and you yeah, know, and like the, that was the whole thing it. is you can't, you can't, this guy, Paul Holes, who, like I mentioned before, he was the one who found the DNA link. She actually meets up with him in person in 2013. They travel mm-hmm. through the state to various sites and discuss different angles and different things. So they were in collaboration and she oh, was helping them with stuff. And he was giving her information. She had gotten boxes of things from the Orange County Police Department. Like she so had. Where, what was she working? How was she? What was she narrowing down uh, in, in terms of which the, the police would be like, yeah, let's let's go check the. You know, wh- where was she, where was her work ending up in terms yeah. of where the police were like, yeah, that's useful to us. I mean, that's where a lot of the book covers. She was a huge proponent of the DNA testing, but in this place and time, it wasn't conclusive enough to do anything. She had done her own Mm -hmm. analysis and gone through this website, but it was like great, 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 great grandfather away. And even then was a 50% match. So it was like, even if we did figure this thing out, it just, it just wasn't useful enough for that kind of thing. A lot of it which is what becomes frustrating in the book is she goes on this track or she's saying, okay, here's this place. Now that we're here in person, this fence that obviously we recognize from the testimony, he jumped over. Now that we look at it in person, not just on Google maps, the hill is actually a lot lower than we see. So let's go into the medical records and see who didn't identify themselves, but went to a hospital for a broken ankle or a broken collarbone right. or so, you know, that kind of thing. Right, right, right Or right. who showed up to a job site because they think that he might've been a construction worker who showed up that was injured on the job, but didn't file a workplace injury kind of like that stuff. And, which this is also, just so, and it might be an important point here to uh, point out is that 
he was a police officer. Right. So I think that that definitely aided him in being able to keep a kind of low profile people not piecing it together that it's yeah at least in the in the, the time. in the early in the early stuff when he was the east yeah. area rapist he was a police officer right. and then as the murders continued he was his job history is vacant for like five years in southern california but yeah that's the kind of stuff that she's doing is a lot of red herrings or dead ends or ideas or being like oh he he would have had to have been a really good runner because there was times where the police had him at gunpoint and he evaded them or, right. you know, there was a lot of stuff like that. So she was on some tracks of like, well, let's look and see who was on the track team in this area in high school, just really trying a lot of different mm-hmm. things to try and narrow stuff down. That's, that's what she ended up doing in 2014 from this LA magazine article was given that book deal to say, Hey, expand this into a book. She was also on a panel at South by Southwest called Solving Murders with Social Media, um, Hmm. which I'll post a link to the slideshow for that. Very interesting. Like we said, very tragically, in the throes of writing this book, as the pendulum is swinging towards we're getting better with DNA testing, we're tightening up the screws on this, she dies in her sleep in April of 2016 of this overdose and undiagnosed heart condition. Um, Just a few months later in June of that year, the FBI and local law enforcement had a news conference and they announced a renewed nationwide effort and $50,000 reward for this guy's capture. And then, like we said, two years later, her book gets published in 2018, was number two on the New York Times bestsellers list, was on it for 15 weeks. Paul Haynes, who was helping her with research, and then this other guy, Billy, Billy Jensen, who was another writer who she was collaborating with, who was also similarly doing similar Mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. to her in terms of being a citizen investigator offered because he was friends with her. And after her passing was like, Hey Patton, anything I can do to help get this book done, let me know. In 2018 there, they used this new website, new DNA evidence, which they tried before. And like I said, was too unwieldy. And that was how the police were able to construct this family tree and establish who the suspect would be based on who had similar great-great-great-grandparents, leading us to only one suspect, this guy, uh, Joseph D'Angelo. Who is still living in Sacramento, right in the middle of where these murders were happening. So he just never left. He just stayed there. (laughs) He he terrorized his own community and just kind of laughed about it, I guess, to himself mm-hmm. for the last 40 years. What a sick individual. So now we come back to Paul Holes, who was the guy who was interested in the cold cases from the beginning. And this is on his last days before retirement in March, oh, man. Of, in March of 2018. He follows D'Angelo and collects a piece of garbage he had thrown out and then took the DNA from that and connected it to several crime scenes. So they already had the profile. They had a yeah. conclusive profile of the Golden State Killer. Here is here he is. That we've cross-referenced this between all of our evidence. This is him. Then they you they put that up against the DNA profile from the tissue. And it yeah. matched. And so they arrested him, like I said, similarly to the same way that Michelle McNamara had prophesied that he would be taken. Some some old guy just coming in quietly. And, I mean, uh, she like she she made it. Man, 
she really uh, made this happen, man. She she uh, materialized it. She, she you know she dreamed this up. Being able to mm-hmm. put a name to this face. Well, and and it's it is a bit unfortunate. I guess maybe there's legality things, or in truth, the police are also doing their thing, and she's For doing sure. her thing. So they didn't say, "Oh, she was the one who broke it," because obviously they had the DNA evidence that linked right, it to right. him, and that's what put it together. But it's undeniable the amount of effort and energy that she was putting into tying up loose ends or finding dead ends that then were not worth the police investigating in various other pieces, as well as literally naming him the Golden State Killer and giving the public something to latch on to in terms of solving this thing. Because, like I said, there's, there's hundreds of people that were affected by it, and the guy is still out there. He's calling people and making fun of them after this. As late as 2001? That's yeah. insane. And uh, so the, the, the craziest end point to this is now the show has come out based on the book. And like we said, just this week, he pled guilty. In court. And, and in regards to now that we've talked about Michelle and, and all her contributions and whatnot, a quote from Patton Oswald, you know, he was saying that she's always said, I don't care if I'm the one who captures him. I just want bracelets on his wrist and a cell door slamming behind him right and it was that she was wanting justice for the people like she didn't want the glory of it and it's interesting that now she wanted justice yeah she is getting quite a bit of media attention not just because of her passing but also because look it happened like it's a a grand tragedy that she didn't get to see it happen but the fact that she contributed to it and it is happening like you said the zodiac killer will never know but this, like, we do know, homie confessed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, for real, definitively confessed. Match mm-hmm. the DNA. Uh, they, he is behind bars, and yeah. they have solved this. It seems like a dream. And the fact that she didn't get to see it, but she was right. It did mm-hmm. happen. And yeah. she, contributed, uh, she contributed immensely to yeah. bringing him to justice. So if you're interested in this stuff, like I'll post links to everything as always, but this particular case has been quite well covered, which is why we didn't go into the actual details of it all. Um, Same way, like we didn't go into Ted Bundy's crimes. Uh, We were, you know, we're more interested in the the human aspect of this. And we thought just Michelle McNamara's uh, story was, was incredible. (laughs) And if you're, if, but if you are interested in this stuff, both in her story and in the the cases themselves and what's going on. Obviously, check out the book, check out the show. There's a very famous podcast called My Favorite Murder, and they talk yes. with Patton Oswald and Paul Holes, the investigator, and Billy Jensen, the other civilian investigator that helped write right, the book. Right. He actually had a book that came out last year called Chase Darkness With Me, which is very oh. similar to Michelle's book and talks about the cases that he helped solve or was involved in as well as like if you want to be involved in this what are the best practices what are the best resources what are the best ways what are the ethics and legality behind being involved so i'll post a link to that it's called chase darkness with me and then he partnered up with paul holes the guy that worked with michelle the investigator who retired like i said after capturing this guy they also have a podcast called the murder squad where it's just those two guys and they (laughs) talk about (laughs) cases yeah they talk about cases that are still unsolved and that's been going on for the past two years um so there's everybody's all 
working together. They're all over the place, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and you're not behind. The show just came out. Again, it's a six-part uh, documentary. The first part is the only one that's out. It comes out Sundays. So if you've been interested in this and you want to hop into Michelle McNamara's uh, journey, uh, bringing the Golden State uh, Killer to justice, buckle up. Uh, episode 2 comes out this uh, this next Sunday. So this was great. Thank you, Taylor. As always, uh, reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram if there's anything you want us to cover next week we are doing hamilton <laughs> finally i don't know anything i i've stayed away i don't know anything it's gonna be a blast stick with us for that check out i'll be gone in the dark on hbo check out the book thank you guys for hanging out with us we will catch you next week